Welcome to conference coverage highlights presented by ReachMD on XM160 and powered by Health Day. Conference coverage highlights features the latest clinical information and research findings from the American Psychiatric Association's 162nd annual meeting, which took place May 16th through the 21st, 2009 in San Francisco. I'm Dr. Mark Kina. And I'm Sue Berg. This year's meeting was attended by more than 15,000 people from around the world. The meeting comprised over 500 scientific sessions. A wide variety of topics were covered, including professional ethics, the upcoming fifth edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, borderline personality disorder, alcohol use, mental health and the military, the association between depression and heart disease, and suicide in San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge, as well as the history of drug treatment in San Francisco. The Presidential Symposium was chaired by ethicist Dr. Paul Applebaum of the New York State Psychiatric Institute. Dr. Applebaum led an 11-member task force that looked at the relationship between psychiatrists and industry. The group drafted proposed guidelines for clinicians, educators, and researchers that addressed gifts from drug companies, relationships with pharmaceutical reps, and industry-funded research. These guidelines reflect caution when it comes to clinicians accepting significant financial incentives from the pharmaceutical industry to develop, study, and distribute new medications. According to Dr. Applebaum, many physicians claim that their practice is not impacted by gifts from drug companies or their sales representatives, but the results of several studies suggest otherwise. He cited research showing a correlation between prescriptions for particular medications and visits from pharmaceutical representatives. He also cited research showing that industry-funded research tends to produce findings favorable to industry. The guidelines advise clinicians against using only industry-provided slides and materials during talks to colleagues. They're advised to adhere to criteria established by the Accreditation Council on continuing medical education. The fifth edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders is scheduled for publication in the year 2012. When it's finished, the fifth edition of the manual will represent the culmination of 13 years of research planning, data collection and analysis, and stakeholder review. Conference attendees were able to learn about this process, the guiding principles behind the revision of DSM-5, as well as anticipated changes in the manual. One of the most anticipated changes in the fifth edition is a move away from a categorical model of mental disorder toward a dimensional model. A dimensional model classifies patients across a spectrum which ranges from mild to severe. A significant issue faced by those crafting the fifth edition is the question of whether to include or delete gender identity disorder from the diagnostic manual. More than one session was devoted to this issue, including a session entitled In or Out a discussion about gender identity diagnosis and the DSM. A second session was titled Beyond Conundrum, Strategies for Diagnostic Harm Reduction, and a third explored Aligning Bodies with Minds, the case for medical and surgical treatment of gender dysphoria. Attendees had multiple opportunities throughout the conference to meet with the experts who are developing the DSM-5, including a town hall-style meeting in which attendees' questions, concerns, and complaints were addressed. Several studies were presented on the role of neurobiology and genes in patients with borderline personality disorder. Research was presented on the genetic background of altered pain perception in borderline personality patients, opioid receptor and oxytocin genotypes, and the role of endogenous opioids in the non-suicidal self-injury frequently seen in borderline personality patients. 
A session on dysregulation of the endogenous opioid system function in borderline personality patients highlighted a study of 20 women with borderline personality disorder during an emotional challenge as compared to 18 healthy control patients. The women with borderline personality disorder showed significantly greater regional activation of the opioid neurotransmitter system than controlled patients. Researchers say this data suggests the involvement of the endogenous opioid system in two prominent traits relevant to the clinical presentation of borderline personality disorder, impulse, and emotion dysregulation. Research was also presented on alcoholism and patients with schizophrenia. Alcohol use disorders represent a significant comorbidity in schizophrenia. Previous studies have reported that anywhere from 12% to 55% of schizophrenia patients also have an alcohol use disorder. Finnish researchers presented a meta-analysis of 58 studies showing that about one-fifth of patients with schizophrenia also have an alcohol use disorder. This suggests a decline in prevalence compared to similar analyses published through 1995. Researchers say that decline may be due to changes, diagnostic criteria, or perhaps a rise in the use of other drugs. A variety of topics was discussed related to the mental health of veterans and military service members. A discussion of post-traumatic stress disorder and alcohol use disorder looked specifically at these diagnoses with respect to returning veterans. Key challenges in treating this population include the patient's readiness for treatment and engagement in therapy, therapist selection, and how changing symptoms in one disorder can affect the other, multiple comorbidities, and systems issues. Neurobiological determinants were also looked at in PTSD and substance abuse, as well as pharmacotherapeutic treatment when PTSD and alcohol use disorder occurred together. A symposium entitled Psychological Effects of the Long War, Strategies for Mitigation, looked at post-traumatic disorder, traumatic brain injury, suicide, and pain management in service members. The U.S. Department of Defense's newly established Defense Centers of Excellence for Psychological Health and Traumatic Brain Injury is working to promote resilience, recovery, and reintegration for military personnel and their families. The Defense Center of Excellence has established quality standards for clinical care, education, training, and prevention. Research was also presented on the effect of United Nations peacekeeping missions. The stress of peacekeeping missions is different from the stress of combat missions. Investigators looked at a number of peer-reviewed articles involving soldiers deployed for peacekeeping missions. Three categories of studies were identified, cross-sectional studies on distress and mental disorders, prospective studies on distress, and studies focusing more exclusively on suicide. From these studies, investigators observed that between 5 and 12 percent of soldiers on peacekeeping missions developed post-traumatic stress disorder. The investigators also found that while not all soldiers on peacekeeping missions experienced PTSD, a substantial proportion did develop mental health problems. A symposium entitled Matters of the Heart, Depression, and Cardiovascular Disease explored the relationship between depression and heart disease. Subtopics included advances in psychosomatic medicine, the metabolic effects of psychotropic medications, and the association between heart disease and depression in African Americans. One study discussed the link between the autonomic system, depression, and heart disease. Autonomic imbalance, best measured by resting heart rate, heart rate recovery after a challenge, variability of the heart rate, and baroreflex sensitivity 
may provide a framework for the multiple mechanisms that link depression and heart disease. Examples cited at the symposium include existing research on reduced vagal tone as a risk factor for both coronary artery disease and major depression. Further efforts to define increased mortality from heart disease associated with depression were discussed. Recent research has demonstrated that a single measure of depression observed within a few weeks of a coronary event doubles mortality risk over the next seven years. Also existing data suggests that patients diagnosed with depression for the first time after a coronary event are at the same or greater risk for death than patients with recurrent major depression. Correction of autonomic imbalance was also discussed in the session as a possible mode of treating depression in patients at risk for heart disease. The author, Dr. Dean Ornish, delivered a lecture entitled, The Power of Personalized Lifestyle Changes. Dr. Ornish, a professor at the University of California, San Francisco, is a proponent of a lifestyle-driven approach to heart disease. In the lecture, he explored the relationship between lifestyle and heart disease and depression. Dr. Ornish outlined several outcome studies conducted over 30 years evaluating low-tech and low-cost interventions like diet, exercise, and meditation. Dr. Ornish also discussed the surprising changes such interventions may produce in the brain as evidenced by recent brain imaging studies. For example, a study of patients who walked three hours a week for three months and showed comparative increase in brain size and neuron growth in the prefrontal cortex. A study was presented on use of the chronic care model to improve depression care on college campuses. Over the course of 12 months, eight university health centers worked together to achieve seven quality goals for evidence-based identification and treatment of depression. The health centers were counseled through both formal educational sessions and regular email and phone contact in principles of systematic coordinated care for managing depression. The principles of coordinated care included routine screening, integration with primary care, care management, and outcomes follow-up. Using a regional health care initiative known as the College Breakthrough Series, designed to enhance the care and management of college students with depression, 71,000 college students were screened for depression. About 800 students with depression were treated. 93% received evidence-based treatment within four weeks of diagnosis of depression. Of those, 49% showed improvement within 8 weeks, and over 50% showed improvement within 12. According to investigators, the College Breakthrough Series offers a promising approach to improving care of college students with depression. Earlier data on the College Breakthrough Series suggested that treatment outcomes are improved by earlier intervention and coordinated transition into treatment and a systemized approach to continuing treatment. The study was funded by the Aetna Foundation and the New York Community Trust. In another study, investigators looked at suicide among female veterans. An earlier study by the same authors suggested that female veterans might be at increased risk for suicide compared with other women. The objective of the study presented at the meeting was to refute or confirm those earlier findings. Investigators compared the number of suicides among female veterans and women who were not veterans. They used data provided by the 2005 Census Bureau American Community Survey and from the 2005 National Violent Death Reporting System, which compiles data on violent deaths from death certificates, coroner reports, and interviews with surviving family and friends. Among female veterans, the suicide rate was 11.3 per 100,000 women per year versus 5 per 100,000 women per year who were not veterans. 
These findings supported the researchers' earlier results, suggesting an increased risk in suicide compared with other women. They advised clinicians to assess female veteran patients for suicide risk, regardless of age or ethnicity. Researchers in Denmark looked at the quality, advantages, and disadvantages of telepsychiatry in a cross-cultural population. Between 2005 and 2007, national and international telepsychiatry services were established between Denmark and Sweden in order to provide access in the native language of asylum seekers, refugees, and migrants in need of psychiatric services. A psychiatric care center in Copenhagen was connected via video conferencing with two hospitals, one asylum seeker center and one social institution located in Denmark, as well as the Swedish department of the psychiatric center. Eight languages were spoken, and patients representing nine different nationalities were treated via video conferencing. Patients responded to a questionnaire with a high level of acceptance and satisfaction with the telepsychiatry service. They also expressed a preference for this service over mental health care facilitated by an interpreter. According to researchers, the shared language and similar cultural and national references compensated for the lack of physical contact and nonverbal communication between doctor and patient. A San Francisco-focused panel discussed the history of suicide on the Golden Gate Bridge. More people have committed suicide from the Golden Gate Bridge than any other bridge in the world, with an average of two new suicides per month. Over 1,200 people are known to have committed suicide by jumping from the Golden Gate Bridge since it was built in 1937. The panel discussed the Psychiatric Foundation of Northern California's Bridge Barrier Task Force, which was created in 2004 to educate the public about suicide. At the urging of the task force, plans are underway to erect a suicide barrier on the Golden Gate Bridge. Speakers on the panel included family members of people who committed suicide from the bridge, a survivor of attempted suicide, the county coroner, and the chief engineer of the Golden Gate Bridge. And a San Francisco-focused panel discussion focused on lessons learned in San Francisco from the drug culture of the 1960s regarding drug addiction, treatment, and long-term recovery, and the relevance of those lessons today. Also discussed were the federal government's response to drugs, the rise of prescription drug abuse, neurobiological and other scientific studies on drug abuse, and the success of 12-step and other recovery programs. One session focused on the comparative outcomes of those who used drugs in the 1960s and were either unharmed by their experience or had developed major medical and psychiatric sequelae. Thank you for listening to conference coverage highlights from the American Psychiatric Association's 162nd Annual Meeting, which took place May 16th through the 21st in San Francisco. Conference coverage highlights is a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD.com, and powered by Health Day.